Well, we are, we're, we're finishing our, our Christmas series today, His Great Names. We've uh, been looking at one of the, the most famous prophecies about the Messiah uh, from Isaiah 9. And we've been kind of investigating what it means. Uh, because it sounds really neat and it sounds cool, but what does it actually entail? What does it actually mean? Not only um, in the original text and context, but also for us now. Like, how does that change? How does it change who we are and what we do? Because it does. And so uh, we're, today we're going to look at the Prince of Peace. So let's let's uh, read our, 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 our base text. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. We suggested something like um, Miracle Planner. Uh, Mighty God. We suggested uh, Warrior God. Uh, Everlasting Father, which we just meant always being dad for us. And now Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now, the Prince of Peace, what does that mean? And, and maybe even more importantly, what did Israel mean, uh, th- think it meant? Okay, and then the, the, the Hebrew here is, this English translation is great. There's no, no real need to tinker with it. It's just uh, somebody who's like, you know, a king or a prince. And the, the kind of prince, kind of king that, uh, that this, this man will be is one who brings peace. Well, what, do, what did that look like and what did they think that meant? Well, just a few chapters earlier, Isaiah tells us uh, in an oracle from God, and this is Isaiah 2, and and listen to this, many peoples, and by that, uh, the Old Testament always means Gentiles, okay, Uh, non-Jewish people. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, who's, who's declaring that law, this coming Messiah, The word of Yahweh from Jerusalem, and he, this Messiah, will judge between the nations to settle disputes for many peoples, not just Jewish people, but everyone all throughout the world. And what are these people going to do? They're going to beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Um, What they're going to do is they're going to take their weapons of war, and they're going to turn them to something that you do during peacetime, right? Uh, You prune the trees, and, and you plow the fields. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. They're not even going to try to get ready for war. Well, this is a pretty, pretty powerful and beautiful vision, right? And Israel's looking forward to a day when someone's going to come and is going to stop all the rage, all the war. We, we're maybe, we, actually, we kind of just got like a little taste of what ancient warfare typically was like. Uh, when we saw the uh, the Hamas um, attacks on Israel, ancient warfare was extremely brutal. Um, it's only been in the last 100 years that people have tried to come up with ways to make war less awful. Um, war, I mean, there, rape was very common in ancient warfare. Uh, Israel was specifically... Um, banned from doing things like that, but the surrounding nations were very vicious. Uh, and so the idea that, that maybe we would come to a place where we're no longer taking up weapons and abusing and destroying each other, what a beautiful idea. And not only that, but that the nations themselves will recognize the greatness of Israel, the greatness of Israel's God, and will come and, and be like, we want to know more. We want to see who you are.
well, that didn't happen. And again, we just we just saw it. I have you know picture here of a, the Hamas protest, right, or the the Gaza protest. It, it, right now in the Israel Gaza conflict, to say nothing of Russia and Ukraine, um, to say nothing of Sudan uh, and some others that don't get into the news. This hasn't come to pass. There is still great pain in the world, and war is complicated. It's uh, it's it's. The interesting thing is ceasefire now. That's the kind of the protest for um, for the current conflict. A lot of people are just saying, "Hey, everybody, let's just stop shooting, right?" Well, that's it's it's more complicated than that. Um, on the right there, you see that's uh, that's uh, Clausewitz. He was uh, one of the most famous um, philosophers of war. He was, I think, he was Prussian. Um, and lived, primarily his work was done in the early 1800s. But one of the things he's most famous for, and I'm not a, I'm not a war scholar, I don't know anything, this is like the Wikipedia version of what this guy thought, but basically his biggest uh, contribution is, is this phrase, um, war is just the continuation of politics with other means. That's not an exact quote, but it's easier in English. War is just the continuation of politics with other means. Well, what he meant by that is that every nation, every people has desires, goals, and what they want from their neighboring peoples with whom they, they may be friends, they may not, but we all have desires. We all, and, and so every nation, every people has designs with their neighbors. And when those designs are, they cannot be done peacefully, that's when war happens. Sure, we try to negotiate, we try to trade, we try to do all the things, but if it's impossible, if we decide that we can't get what we want, we go to war. What makes the Israel-Gaza conflict so difficult is that Israel does not believe. Their, their stated claim is that Hamas must be destroyed, eliminated. They don't, the Israel has a position, we don't believe that there can be a peaceful solution to this until a whole lot of people are dead. That's the tragic reality we live in. And it's even more tragic because Israel's belief, her hope, was that there was going to come a politician who could solve all of the conflicts between nations without resorting to violence. A a politician so charismatic and um, truth-soaked that the nations, all the peoples would come and see Jerusalem, see Yahweh God as the solution to the world's problems. That's the first thing on your note sheet. Israel thought the prince of peace would be a politician who would make the nation great and stop all wars. So what a disappointment Jesus must have been. Because Jesus didn't do any of that. Or did he? Let's look, at, let's look at what um, the Apostle Paul thinks the Prince of Peace did. This is from Ephesians 2. This is uh, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus and explaining to them the kind of peace the Prince of Peace brings and, or brought and continues to bring. He himself is our Jesus. He himself is our peace 
who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. The two there are the people of Israel, God's chosen people, and everyone else, most of us. How can this happen? Well, uh, people are surprised when they find out that uh, my wife Erin and I, we went to the same high school. And we were only a year apart. Uh, I was class of 99, she was class of 2000. And so they assume, when they find that out, that we were high school sweethearts. Not true. We didn't even know each other in high school. Why? How, how is that possible? It wasn't like our school was that big. I mean, we went to Santa Margarita Catholic, and I think my graduating class was like only 350, 400 students, something like that, and I think hers is about the same. This is not, you know, Capo. This is not San Juan Hills. This is a small environment, and yet I have no memory of her from high school, and she has no memory of me. Why? Well, I don't know if high school's the same, but at least when I was in high school, when we were in high school, students, they kind of separate themselves into cliques. Have you seen this? I had a picture here of all the different cliques, right? There's the popular kids. There's the theater kids, emo, which we called goth when, when I was in high school. Those are the people who wear a lot of black. Um, ASB, I think that's like the student council. Jocks, indie kids. And then on the top left there, they say AP students. AP students is code for nerds. They don't want to say that, but that's what it means. As it happens, I was in the nerd clique. We, we were at like the least popular table. Uh, we, there was, it was me and my best three buddies and then, um, a lot of, you know, foul smelling, uh, just incapable, socially incompetent people at our table, and we never, there were no girls, by the way, it was just all men, all boys, uh, and, and so we, we, and we lived as, you know, this, like, that was our, our group, because, you know, no one else would have us, um, Aaron sat at a different table, she sat at the jock table, now, in the high school hierarchy, the jocks are up here, and the AP, the nerds are down here. And there was no way that I would ever be allowed to sit at a table that she sat at. I mean, I could try, but that would end badly for me. And it's because, you know, human beings... By the way, Brooke, is it still the same? Like, do they still have cliques in high school? You you were just there, like, a couple years ago. Surely you remember. No? Okay, all right, well... I think it's probably the same. All I know is that the reason for that separation, part of it, a huge part of it, is that at that age, during that age where kids are very insecure and we're trying to find out who we are, and so we tend to be with people that are like us, um, or at least we think are like us, and that makes us feel safe. But once you get into those groups, you notice that every group has a different way of doing life, right? (laughs) I remember my buddy Jared he refused to, to keep any of his books in his locker. And so he had the world's largest backpack and he carried around all of his books in the backpack all the time. And man, a lot of kids thought that was really lame. 
me included. Um, but that was, that was who, and so, but that was because we were the kids who were like, well, we gotta focus on the academics, read the books, get the good grades, you know? And if you weren't like that, you didn't, then you didn't really fit in with us. And likewise, we weren't very good at sports. We didn't like PE. And so when, you know, we wouldn't fit in with the people who are always talking about the last game and all the things and practice and all that. So the, we had just different ways of doing life. And so we separated. What the apostle Paul noticed is that the same thing had happened with the Jewish people and the rest of the world. And, and for the Jewish people, it was very, very pronounced because they would, they engaged in circumcision. They, uh, they would cut off the, the thing. Um, you know, and most people didn't. Uh, they had very strict food laws. They weren't allowed to eat pork amongst other things. Uh, and everyone else was. And so there was this kind of like the separation between Jewish people and Gentile people, and it led to hostility. It led to anger. It led to suspicion. It led to conflict. Just as our high school cliques led to conflict because of the different ways we lived, so it was in the ancient world. And, what, and, and this, is the, this is where Jesus begins to be the Prince of Peace. Uh, he, Paul says that in himself... He destroyed the wall of hostility. He got rid of the rules and regulations that would keep people apart. And so the next thing in your note sheets is this. Jesus is the prince of peace who sets aside the cultural rules and regulations that divide us. If you think that it stopped with the Jews and the Gentiles, you are wrong. In this country... we. <laughs> A fascinating country in the history of countries because we have people from everywhere, all sorts of different cultures and, and types of people with different traditions and different ways of doing life, ways of dressing and thinking and eating and living and working. Paul's confession is that Jesus just destroyed all of that. And so there is nothing presenting us from becoming one with those around us. The challenge though is that we often don't want to do that. Human beings like to be in tribes and cliques. We like to separate. We like to, to be different from each other. And so that brings up a, a question. And the first question is this. What what way of life do we have here that keeps us from communion with people on the outside? Should, should we maintain that? Or should we be willing to change and to set it aside in order to become a more welcoming, inclusive place? This gets really complicated. It's really, really complicated. For example, um, there's a there's a big piano back there. It doesn't get played a lot, but sometimes it does. But I was like, when we were doing like the renovation stuff, I was like, why don't we just get rid of that stupid piano that no one uses? You know, we could sell it, make some money. And when I shared that opinion with a number of people, they began to cry. Because they were like, that piano is beautiful and it's been here forever. I'm like, uh-huh. Because I'm sitting there, I'm like, well, but I mean, I don't know, does, does the piano, does it like, I don't know, does it make the place less welcoming? I mean, if you're like new and you, you look at that, like, oh, these people are stuffy and old school. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. 
But I do know that we very quickly create traditions and, and ways of doing life that we do not want to get rid of. We're scared to do it because it's comfortable. And yet, what if, just as the regulations and rules were keeping the Jews and the Gentiles separated, what if there's something, a way of doing that we are here that is keeping us from being able to reach out, to welcome in more people to become one with? That leads to the second question. What does a Christian look like? Does the answer change over time in different places? Well, what do you think? I mean, what do you think? What, you look at somebody like, oh, a good Christian. And, and maybe you're right. Maybe you're not. I got a picture here of uh, Connie and Lonnie Frisbee. If you saw that Jesus Revolution movie, um, Lonnie Frisbee was one of the original Jesus people. Um, he was uh, from San Francisco area, or at least that's where he started before he came down to uh, Southern California. But he was an evangelist, a preacher, but he looked like a hippie, because he was. He was a total hippie. At a time when hippies were gross and dirty, and no one, actually, does anyone really want, no one likes hippies. I think they're still despised, and rightly so. Take a shower. Um, but his very, uh, his, his look, his presence, caused him to be on the outside of, of Christian communities. And, you know, Chuck Smith, his big thing was like, I don't care how you look. I don't care if you wear shoes. Come talk about Jesus with us. Now, here's the thing they don't tell you in the movie. Lonnie Frisbee was bisexual. And his entire life he battled uh, with um, same-sex attraction. He ended up contracting HIV and died of AIDS in the early 90s. It was not something that he... He, he, he felt that he believed it was wrong. Um, but he... He's struggled, you know, sin is, sin is tough. It is what it is. And in the wake of that, right, in the wake of, of that time, that era, now a lot of Christian congregations are sitting around being like, maybe the, maybe we're, we should be more tolerant of, you know, sexual orientation, trans issues now are very popular. Um, because maybe what it's doing is keeping people away. Well, that's why this is so difficult, because we can't be so inclusive that we ignore Scripture. We can't be so willing to change that we get away from the Bible and what it says. And so as Christians, we're caught in this very difficult place of trying to create peace with people because we have certain commitments that we have to keep. And yet, our heart should be for those on the outside And so as a community, we have to be thinking through that on a regular basis. That's not the only type of peace, peace between people, us. There's a second type of peace that Paul understands Jesus to have brought as the Prince of Peace. Continuing in Ephesians 2, listen to this. And in one body to reconcile both of them, Jews and Gentiles, to who? To God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, Jews. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. You see, in the the days before Jesus, uh, regular, like Jewish people felt that Gentiles had no access to God. 
because they didn't follow the rules and the laws. And in order to have access to God, you needed to do certain things. You need to pray in a certain way. You needed to act in a certain way. You needed to eat certain things. That's how you got access to God. And if you didn't do that, you didn't have it. Access. Access is a pretty big deal. Because a lot of us don't have it. I have a couple people here who are dealing with access. Um, I don't know if you've heard, but President Biden has been accused of selling access to himself through his son, Hunter. That in order to, to be able to get to the big guy, you have to go through, you have to pay some money, you have to do this, that, or the other. I don't, I don't know if it's true or not, but that's you know what they say. And uh, he's a politician. I think they kind of all do that. I don't even know if it's illegal, but whatever. On the right there is Davis Perigo. He's from uh, Tennessee. He wanted to go to the Taylor Swift concert in the Eras tour. But he was unlucky. He couldn't, he couldn't get tickets. And so he came up with a genius plan where he joined the security team at the venue <laughs> like a month before she showed up. And so then he got to see her on Friday and Saturday like five uh, feet away from her. In fact, the, uh, the, the other security guys were like, because he was singing along to all the songs. He's like a super fan. I, I'm not making this up. It's true. It's happened. Uh, and they're like, dude, what are you doing? You're supposed to be protecting her. And he was just like fanboying it up. He wanted access to Taylor. I actually, true story, Counting Crows came to um, my college uh, when I was a senior, and I did exactly the same thing. And that's how I got uh, lead singer Adam Duritz's um, autograph. And then as soon as the Counting Crows left, I, I quit the, the concert committee. I think we sometimes forget how lucky we are. That we have VIP access to the King of Kings. That we can, we don't have to pay. We don't have to join the security team. All we have to do is believe and then by the Spirit of God, we have access to the King. Last thing in your note sheets. Jesus is the Prince of Peace who secures us VIP access to God by the Spirit. This is what's critical. Before Jesus, you know, it was, you had to do this or that, or you didn't have any access at all. But when Jesus comes, he shares one spirit with all of us. So everybody here who has trusted in Jesus, we share the same spirit. And that spirit grants us VIP access. We can go to God in whatever condition we are at any time, and we can receive his grace. There is nothing that separates us from him because we have the Spirit. I mean, think about that. The King of the universe, the creator of all that there is, and we can just walk up with whatever we've got, and he's ready to welcome and hear us. A lot of us, I don't think, believe that. A couple of questions here. One question is this. Do you believe that you must do something, act in a certain way before you can approach God? Do you feel like you have to be pretty holy before God's going to hear your prayers? Do 
Do you feel a lot of guilt and shame? And so as a result, you're not ready to access and be before God. You're, 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 you're holding back because of something that's going on internally. Well, I'm here to tell you that the, the, the wall of hostility has been torn down. It was crucified in Jesus. That everything that separates us from God was put into to Jesus and it was nailed to the cross. It's all gone. And so number two, do you take advantage? Do you go to God with things? I confess to you, I, I, my, um, I've been, in my prayer life, I've been uh, changing in, in a certain way. I have been um, focusing on other people. And being, I've been, what I've been trying to do is be extremely diligent when I know that somebody needs prayer for something to, to go to God with that. But that's, that's exhausting because there's a lot of you and you know, a lot of you have needs. And it's not just you. There's other people in my life. And so there's this long list of people who have needs. And so what I've taken to doing is just as, as I'm praying before God, I just say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on so-and-so who is a sinner. And, w- and when I say so-and-so, I, just, it, I bring to mind whatever that request, whatever that need is. And I just said it before because, I mean, I can't do anything. Like, there's only so much that we can do for each other. But a lot of times, our needs are, are way beyond something that, that I can do or you can do. In fact, the only one who can do it is God. The king of the universe is there. He's ready to do things. Are we going to him to ask? For that matter, are, are, are we going to him with praise and honor? Do, do we ever just sit there and be like, God, you are amazing. You are so good. How gracious are you? Do we worship him? So if you're wondering, the Prince of Peace... God revealed a, a very special plan because it still is God's desire to have the, that bit in Isaiah about, you know, stopping wars and having everyone come to the God of Israel. That's still the plan. It's just, it's done in a different way. It's not a politician who's going to get up there and be like super charismatic and bring everyone to Israel. No, instead, it's going to be the, the, the God of the universe crucified and offering his grace and an end of all hostility to any who will receive it. And so now we get to participate. We get to participate in bringing about the peace on earth. Uh, that's the last slide. Isn't it? We, we talk, <laughs> bring peace on earth. Guess what? We get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of bringing people. We get to be a part of cr- crashing through the walls of hostility that separate us. We get to do that because now we have full access to the Father in Jesus, the Messiah. We're going to uh, close, I think, with um, Silent Night. When we're singing and when we're attending, let's, let's, just, let's just marvel at the inscrutable plans of God and the way that God brings about peace on earth is going to continue to bring about an end to hostilities and yet he chooses to do it 
through us in the Spirit. And it's all possible because Jesus came and crucified the walls of hostility that divide us. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we, we worship Jesus, the Prince of Peace. We confess the way that he has broken down the walls of hostility between us in this congregation and continues to do so. We marvel that he wiped away all the regulations and rules that would keep us from coming to you, Father. And instead ensures that we have access in the spirit, no matter where we are, no matter how down and out, how far away we feel, that we, we still have direct access to you, God. And now may we be Jesus' ambassadors, making peace, not holding on to our traditions and culture when it's, when it's damaging, but ready to change, ready to adapt, to evolve, to bring more and more outsiders in. May they marvel at the peace of this place, the peace that you provide. Jesus, in your precious name we pray, amen.